This is Christine Maxfield, and you're listening to When in Rome from Compass Magazine. Have you ever been lost before? I know I'm directionally challenged. That's why I always wear a compass necklace around my neck. So how does getting lost make you feel? Today I chat with the lovely Holly Corbett, Amanda Presner, and Jennifer Baggett about their popular book, The Lost Girls, Three Friends, Four Continents, One Unconventional Detour Around the World. They've embraced that title and have been known as the Lost Girls ever since. They tell me today what that's meant for their travels and in their lives. How was the Lost Girls inspired? How did you even find that name? I I kind of am the person who might have started the name naming process for the Lost Girls. It, names just are one of my things. They kind of come to me. It never comes when I'm thinking of it. I'll be sitting on the couch, like, watching a TV show. I'm like, oh, that would be a great name. But the Lost Girls, my parents, both of them hated it because they thought it was so negative. <laughs> but for us, the name was about describing the time period of the, our lives that we were in. And, you know, whenever you hear somebody talking about going through a tough period where they feel like they lack direction, they don't know where to go, they describe themselves as lost, mm-hmm. which struck me and then us you know, as, as interesting because it's also a word you describe, you used to describe being navigationally, not knowing where you are. So it kind of overlapped for us and we were three women, so we became the Lost Girls. Although ever since then we've been trying to search for a more grown-up sounding name. <laughs> yeah, we're 27 years old. We yeah. Left. <laughs> we're not girls anymore, but I think the name's going to stick. Yeah, we All love right. the name. We also, it's also like a subtle nod to like, you know, Peter Pan's Lost Boys who didn't want to grow up. Uh-huh. When we left, we kind of felt like, all right, this is our last big hurrah before we quote-unquote grow up and become mm-hmm. adults, which is amusing to me now because, uh, you know, you're always growing. You never really feel like Agreed. an adult. Yeah. <laughs> so it was perfect at the time. Okay, so let's go around in a circle so that listeners can recognize voices. Okay. So, Hi, I'm Jen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Holly. And I'm Amanda. All right. And so let's talk about when did this journey take place, how long, and where did you go? What adventures did you go on? Um, it took place in, we left in June 2006 and came back in June 2007. So we did a year around the globe and we started off in South America and went to Peru, Bolivia, Brazil, and then went to India, volunteered in Kenya, stopped in Dubai, Bali, used Thailand kind of as our jumping off point for Southeast Asia. So we went to Cambodia and Vietnam and Laos and Myanmar and then New Zealand, Australia. We stuck mostly to, you know, Asia and Africa, places that were cheaper so that we could live off our budget of $30 a day. Wow. So if we went to Europe, we would have blown our budget in probably a month. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. A couple hours. Right. We didn't do Europe at all because we we knew we couldn't afford it. We'd also all been there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We also wanted, at least I did, I really wanted something challenging, like in terms of destination. I wanted developing countries. I wanted... A little more off the beaten path because I figured, you know, I just wanted to change my perspective of my life and see what it really was like out in the world, not just a glossy version of what I lived in New York City. So that really dictated a lot of our travels. We went to Mm -hmm. really rural areas, developing areas, which really did completely change the tone of the trip. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing. 
So tell me a little bit, because this will segue into my story I have to tell you, but Emmanuel <laughs> in Kenya. Oh. Okay, so. Did you know that? Yes. I volunteered with him. But I had no idea that this was you guys' Emmanuel. Yeah. So I was in Kenya. I was doing my one year around the world. And my host I originally chose was not great. I felt like he was exploiting the people we were trying to help. It wasn't good. So it was my only host. I left. And I'd heard about this wonderful guy named Emmanuel. I go there. In the there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. And so I go there, and another volunteer comes. I'm like, oh, hey, how did you find out about Emmanuel? I just heard about him. He seems great. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's a funny story. It was this book I read called The Lost Girls. Oh, wow. Like, no. <laughs> I know them. And it was such That's a small great. world it in really that is moment. Small world. <laughs> So it was wonderful knowing Aww. that there was a connection there. I so. mean, he was he was wonderful. Yeah. He was so gentle and just, I mean, he took us out mm-hmm. on a safari and we stayed at his house. I, I loved him. I'm Isn't so it crazy yeah. that he's like Facebook friends with us yes. now? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, they lived in the, he and his wife, Lily, lived in the middle of nowhere. With not, yeah. not a lot With of water. Not, I don't remember. There was definitely not electricity and water. Do you guys remember, though, when we went and there we, we were near the bathroom changing and we got scared? by like a farmhand oh, in the field. <laughs> oh yeah. I was showering out of a bucket and but it was a full moon so you could see everything. Yeah. And I saw this guy coming up through this dark field. Holy and I thought, you know, I mean I'm basically flashing with my boobs, so I thought he would stop and, you know, kind of turn away. He didn't. He just kept coming and coming and coming. And I didn't have time to put my clothes on. So I literally threw, like, my shirt, like, in front of my chest and ran up and tried to get into Emmanuel's house, but the door was locked, and I'm knocking. And he's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? (laughs) Um, And the guy climbed the fence and came over. It was just, it turned out it was just, like, one of their helpers. But I guess seeing boobs isn't a big deal. It's not a big deal. They don't care. It's like, it's not a big deal. This guy is coming, approaching me in the dark, and I'm naked. I don't know what to do. The first house I was at in Kenya, his grandmother stumbles into me when I'm taking a, a bucket shower, and she just laughs, and she's just standing there to the point where I finally had to just finish quickly, put my clothes on, yeah. I turn around, and she shakes my hand. I'm like, ah, what? Yeah. Yeah. what is this? But it's <laughs> no a big deal. No biggie. They're just boobs. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you met Emmanuel. Yeah, that was wonderful. That was one of the most meaningful parts of the trip for us in Kenya, for sure, because we did the volunteer program in a different village. They said you have to go visit Emmanuel near Masai Mara for the sec, like a, a kind of a part two of the volunteer program, and that's when we got initiated into the Masai tribe, and we pretty much open our book that way with the prologue because yeah. it was that meaningful. I can't believe there are people traveling to see Emmanuel and volunteer just because they read the book. Well, that's what's so exciting is look at how many women you're inspiring by doing your trip. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. So tell me, so now you're back in the States and mm-hmm. now what? a long time now. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> and so you, you launched a wonderful website called lostgirlsworld.com. Wonderful. <laughs> and so <laughs> what else are you doing now? Well, I'll start, I guess. <laughs> Well, I was married in June. Wonderful. And for me, anyone who reads the book will be very excited that I got married because for me, the whole thing, I was really exploring what I wanted, what I didn't want out of a relationship that I was in that I ended partway through the trip. Mm -hmm. And I was really looking, not necessarily looking for love on the trip, but I just needed some time for myself to explore myself because... I felt like I'm never going to get married and settle down until I do this. So I was very focused on kind of like, am I capable of falling head over heels in love? And, 
you know, I was always, like, friends with guys I dated. So I did have some romances on the road, but it was a lot. It was a long dating, a lot of dating in New York City after the trip before <laughs> I finally found the one. So I'm now married. I was married in June. That's um, great. And I live out in Hoboken, and I love it. Jen's going to write another book about her dating experience. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a really interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. true. So I love being married, and I love living on Hoboken. I was always a television person while the girls were in magazines and writing, but I went back to television when I came back, and I've stayed in it, you know, in between all my travel writing. So I'm producing now at Food Network. So I feel like I've kind of finally come into exactly the life that I want. You know, it's ever-changing, but it's good. (laughs) There was this moment in the book for me where I was in Kenya, and we were volunteering, and there was this little girl, Esther, that really touched me. And in that moment, I always knew that I wanted to be a mom. So, and now I'm going to be a mom, so I'm excited to have another little lost girl or boy to take along on our travels. So that's something that, you know, is really exciting and has always been something that I've wanted to experience. And as far as, like, career goes, I've kind of came back and I've been freelance writing ever since. And that's been very important to me because before we left, I felt like I was spending so much time inside a cubicle. And now I feel like I've made a more mindful decision to really prioritize what's important to me and part of that was being freelance so I could be on my own schedule and mm-hmm. write the stories that I want to write so I've been doing that since I've been back from the trip and it's been six years now oh wonderful yeah mm-hmm. I like to hear that because that's my path yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Holly's great at it yeah I love it. some things never change I was the workaholic although Jen and Holly work equally always worked equally as hard <laughs> um, I had just had a lot more problems kind of separating myself even during the trip from trying to turn the trip into like a business opportunity and keep up my contacts and it took me till the very end for the readers who've gotten that far through the book to let go. And I don't think I've ever really returned to the way I was before, which was kind of a sort of slightly angry person who in a way was like murdering herself to like work mm-hmm. so hard and then would be so angry and disappointed when things didn't work out the way I wanted them to. So you know, you have to come back to work. And, you know, I've had a couple of different jobs, things that have, you know, not a direct career path to where I am now, but where I am now, I'm really happy. I'm overseeing the website for men's fitness, which actually really is kind of like a nine to five job. Actually, it's like a 10 to six job, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. Um, It gives me time for other things. I think for all of us, friends and family and time at home has become a lot more important. I'm sure that's just progression of your life when you're in your 30s but I think we're all a lot more balanced than we used to be the trip definitely brought that to all three of us for Mm -hmm. sure because we were all in that point in our 20s where we were working a lot all of us and you know we would hang out with friends but I think we'd really lost touch at least I had with like other activities Mm -hmm. things that brought joy to our lives because Holly made us go to the ashram I got really into yoga and I do it all the time now the three of us have made lots of plans like we become like the social organizers among our group of girlfriends and they've thanked us for it because we plan long weekends and get togethers and birthday parties and happy hours and just girls weekends like abroad because that's way more important to us now Mm -hmm. and we've continued to travel one at least once a year just the three of us which yeah yeah, it was a pact that we made at the end of the trip and we've we've stuck with it when's your next one soon yeah Yeah. we're going to Austin for the first time and we're going to this experiential resort which is basically lets you take cooking classes adventure classes fitness classes so sometimes we can only get away for three days like a long weekend Mm -hmm. and last year we went to Borneo for 
like three weeks three and that weeks. was amazing diving but you know we take whatever we can get but we get away at least once a year we've kind of mm-hmm. mixed up the international and the domestic it just seems to fall shake out that way yeah mm-hmm. that, yeah you know we don't have always have time every year mm-hmm. yeah and amanda's getting married so we always do one yeah. girls get away before each of us gets married yes well jen and holly got married so i mean i have to get married exactly <laughs> <laughs> No, it's weird. We're all going to be married within one year of one another, and friends have been like, oh, like your little dominoes tumbling over, but <laughs> we just happen to find great guys. So. We happen to hold out until we found great guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was really what it was. <laughs> we didn't settle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk about your Runaway Bridesmaids charity race. This is exciting. Yeah. Well, after I think after we volunteered in Kenya, we just realized how lucky we were to be women born in America and have all these choices. So we wanted to help out Village Volunteers, which is the nonprofit that we volunteered through. And I think the three of us were all really passionate about a cause, sex trafficking, because we Mm -hmm. saw a lot of young prostitutes around the world. And I had read the book Half the Sky, which I love, love, love. And in Half the Sky, there was this shelter for the children of sex workers called New Light. And it just so happened, Village Volunteers was a partner with New Light, and they sent volunteers over there. So we were all sitting around one day, and I'm trying to think of a way to, like, you know, start some kind of charity portion of the Lost Girls. And we were talking about running, because I've always run, and I figured a lot of other people raise money for good causes through running, so why can't we? But in the same breath, we were talking about bridesmaids' dresses and how it's wedding season and how, you know, every bride is, like... You'll yeah. totally wear that tangerine orange dress again. Never. And you never, ever do. <laughs> we're, so. we're in Puerto Rico, actually, and we had this conversation. Yeah, it was on one of our yearly yeah. We get our trips. best ideas when we're traveling. <laughs> yeah. So we just decided to put those dresses back to good use and to run for a cause, and we did the Fifth Avenue Mile, just a mile. We got guys and girls to run in dresses, and it was a blast. We are supposed to do the New York City Marathon. We got orange dresses made for us, but... Hurricane Sandy yeah. happened, and so we ended up volunteering on Staten Island instead, wearing our orange dresses and running supplies. But we raised almost $11,000 for a new shelter. So yeah. it was our first year, and we're going to do it yeah. again every year, I think. And oh, the people good. that ran it were so excited. They had so much fun, because, yeah, it was so especially fun. seeing guys in dresses. Yeah. So they like people who didn't end up who weren't able to do it, they're like, you're going to do it next year, right, because we really want to do it. Because we had this huge group. We had our own heat. And we went, you know, we celebrated after we went to a pub and just had a great time. And how can you not commit to one mile? If yeah. you think yeah. about it, even yeah. if you're slow, one mile, you can walk it. You, it. Could, you yeah. could walk it in 15 minutes. Like, most people ran it in under 10 because yeah. a lot of people were runners. And then, like, 10 minutes later, you can go to a pub yeah. and <laughs> celebrate. Perfect. And the yeah. guys got so many more calls <laughs> and attention. Like, seeing women in dresses with it's sneakers. Not a big deal. I guess in New York, no one even no looked one twice. Cares. No one cares. No one guys were hilarious. I saw photos of it. It was it was funny. Yeah. I made my I, I don't know how I coerced my husband to do it because he wasn't gonna he was like, I'll pay money, I'm gonna be at the bar, I'm gonna come to the happy hours charity. I don't know about a dress. And at the last minute he's like, you know what, buy me a dress and I'll wear it. Yeah, yeah. It, it was awesome. amazing. So I think yeah, I, I'm excited that we're gonna do it once a year because it's become something that everyone's looking forward to. Good. So tell me about this potential TV series about the Lost Girls. Yeah, this about <laughs> it's exciting. We had interest from in the book pretty quickly in in a feature film at first, but then as it was kind of developed through the studios and pitched around Hollywood, it really became clear that it would 
almost work better as a TV series because mm -hmm. there's so much you could do with you know, the locations and the development of the characters. So we were really fortunate that CBS Productions optioned the book for a potential TV series. And recently, it's had a more movement. Apparently, it's going to be changed a little bit. There's going to be a fourth girl. Who gets lost. Who gets that. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some mystery surrounding it. But it is going to be based on the book. And it's in development right now, but I think it's it's pretty far along. Like, I think they said they're going to try to start out in Cambodia. So yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, yeah, yeah, honestly, for the three of us, it's it's like surreal yeah. to think about having these Jen, Amanda, and Holly characters <laughs> oh, <laughs> on <wonderful>. screen. <laughs> and you know, as a film and television person, it's kind of mind-boggling to me. So we'll see. We're just fingers we, crossed. Fingers yeah. crossed. We're just <laughs> you know, you have to move mountains sometimes to get things produced mm -hmm. in the television world. But this is a good a good shot. I love it. And yeah. you're also doing some work with Travel Channel? Yeah, mm -hmm. we, we started doing some work with Travel Channel filming webisodes. Mm -hmm. And when we work with them, we although we're always going to be the Lost Girls at heart, we are three women adventurers traveling around. Borneo was actually, the trip we did there was in part to do some filming, underwater filming for Travel Channel. We filmed here in New York with a production team. And now we're kind of just figuring out, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's to figure mm -hmm. out what's going to happen next in terms of the webisode series. So we're kind of waiting to hear back on that as well. So hopefully there'll be lots of fun news. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is going to be a great year for I all three so. of you. Wedding, <laughs> baby, yeah, love it. and show. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So are you ready for your Traveler's 10 questions? Yes. Yeah. All right. What travel book makes you want to pack your bags and hop on a plane? Well, for me, it's not a very well-known book, but there's a book called Flame Trees of Thika, which was written by a, a British woman, Elizabeth Huxley. It, it was turned into a PBS miniseries that aired years and years ago, and it's what inspired me to want to go to, to Africa. Hmm. So I read the book, and when the girls and I were planning the trip, I insisted. I said, please, I really want to go to Kenya, because it's been my dream, because I read this book and saw the show, and so it really inspired us to plan that portion of the trip. So that book, I still reread it often, and it's it definitely inspires me to, to get out and see the world. And then, of course, anything by Bill Bryson is oh, inspirational. <laughs> what destination do you consider a best-kept secret? Well, I don't want to tell too many people, but no. Um, <laughs> Well, what we I had the chance when we were traveling around the world to go to Laos, and it was a country that I didn't know much about, and we were able to go there. Amanda and I. Well, Holly was meditating in the in the ashram. He left me. <laughs> there was, was some candy. I remember though. Yeah, we yeah. gave her candy. Me chocolate. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amanda and I stayed in the ashram for a little over a week, and then Holly state continued on to, to get our yoga teacher training. So Amanda and I headed to Asia early and we went to Laos and we just thought, okay, we didn't really have any expectations. We thought it's, it's another country here that sounds interesting. And it just blew us away. It completely blew us away. And, and at the time, very few travelers were really going there. It was really only on the backpacking circuit. But it was just unreal, not just because of the natural beauty, but because the people were so friendly. Mm -hmm. And they still, tourism was so new there. They had like one ATM, you know, in the entire country. Hmm. It just was so off the beaten path and so calm, but, but unbelievably beautiful. So 
you know, we've told any other travelers come to us and said, where should we go? Especially if they're talking about Asia, that's always our recommendation. That's the place. Yeah. Nice. What site should be seen at least once in a lifetime and why? For me, and I know for Jen and Holly too, a lot of sites in New Zealand, the, the entire, you know, two island nation of New Zealand is a site to behold. I, I always kind of describe it as the place that where, you know, if God was doing all these experiments of like glaciers and mountains and, you know, beautiful crystal blue water, like, you know, all of it was put into one place mm -hmm. and it's a, a relatively small place. So if you can get out there and, you know, we recommend as long as you can go, you know, if you can get a month of your life off to go somewhere, go to New Zealand because around every turn, every drive, it just gets more and more beautiful. So mm -hmm. it's nice to see just such awe-inspiring beauty. Mm. I was there for only touched. a few days in 2011, and a few days is not enough. Mm, you gotta go back. <laughs> I gotta go back. What and where was the most memorable meal you've had while traveling? Oh my gosh, we had so many of them, and all three of us love food. Not just kind of, but we live for food. Yeah. We, would, we kind of pass the time asking, if you could have any food in the world, what would you have right now? So I would say, I mean, Cusco was definitely a foodie destination, and it surprised us in Peru. We loved the meals there, but the most memorable meal wasn't really about the food, but about who we were dining with. When we were in Kenya, we were volunteering through Village Volunteers at the school called Pathfinder, and they would cook dinner for us every day. And, and the whole process of what goes into cooking there was so different. We're used to ordering delivery or popping a frozen burrito into the microwave. So we decided to cook for them. And we made them a Mexican dinner. So they would have, they had tons of avocados, but they had never had guacamole. So, you know, we made guacamole. Now, they didn't have tortillas, but they had something called chapati which mm -hmm. is Indian flatbread. So we had to make chapati from scratch, rolling it out on the wood. There's no stove. There's no nothing. There's just like an open fire. Cockroaches crawling all over. We're yeah. picking the cockroaches out <laughs> of the dough. But it turned out to be a really amazing meal, and the girls loved it. And it was just, it was such a fun experience to be able to, like, take part of another culture and bring it into mm -hmm. a new place and, and teach your girls something new. I love they that. all became obsessed with the guacamole. Yeah. <laughs> they never had it. How could you not be? Yeah. <laughs> What was your most nerve-wracking experience on the road, and how do you think other travelers could avoid it? Well, <laughs> so I'm sure you've experienced this, that probably the, the highest percentage chance that you'll get into a run-in in any given country is in a cab with a taxi driver. <laughs> There's just something about uh -huh. the business transaction, the differences in the cultures, and just the desire of cab drivers to make money that gets you into trouble. And it did a little bit for the three of us when we were in Vietnam. We knew kind of in the back of our minds we would be getting home from an overnight trip or a weekend-long trip pretty late or early in the morning, depending on how you look at it. So it was about 4 in the morning. You know, we emerged from this, you know, bleary-eyed from this train into the nest of cab drivers waiting at the Hanoi train station. And, you know, we couldn't find anybody that would use a meter. They were all going to charge us an arm and a leg just to get back to our hotel. So we finally found one that was using a meter. And we all got in. I stupidly locked all of my belongings in the trunk, including my passports and my visas and my laptop and everything. And long story short, we, we could tell immediately this guy was had rigged the meter, and we just refused to pay. We told him, we're not going to pay this, we're going to let us out, and he just wouldn't stop driving. And finally he stopped. He speeded up, actually. Scared. Like, he was speeding up out of town, it looked like, in our... He's he was speeding up, and so he finally pulled over, and he demanded the fare, and I don't know why, 
considering the number of dollars it really actually was. We didn't just pay it, but I think we were so tired of being, yeah. you know, ripped off. It's the principal. Yeah, of it. people had warned us about doing the, the math at that. Yeah. No, it was like fifty thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars. What is that? Four hundred dollars, or is that four dollars? Yeah. Well, people had warned us about this meter rigging scam because it was happening everywhere. So the numbers were mm-hmm. like they rig them so they just like flies yeah. up. And we told him, okay, it's thirty to forty or whatever the amount was. And he also was really crazy. He was, he was like crazy. angry and oh, screaming. It's like a SWAT to Holly, right? Oh or yeah. Oh yeah. Spitting. Yeah. He tried to yeah. like. He freaked out and just tried to, like, spit and try mm. to, like, go to kick us because, like, we weren't cooperating with him. But we gave him the money, right? And then he uh, opened we gave up him the what trunk. We wanted to. Yeah. We, he opened up the trunk. We said, we if you open stuff. it up, we'll give you your money. So he opened it up. We gave him his money. We walked away. But in the moment, it was mm. scary. And, you know, the, yeah. the darkness before dawn and this, like, cab driver spiraling out of control into, like, some dark alleyways. So. Yeah, he, like, turned around. He's like, well, I'm not taking you to... In, in broken, you know, we couldn't really understand. He just, he stopped and turned. And I guess he was saying he would take us back to the train station, but then he drives down this dark alley. And we're like, what if he's taking us to, like, some buddies of his? Yeah. So Your we, imagination can run away yeah. with you. Sure. But honestly, it was amazing that that's the only really scary moment. I mean, we traveled mm-hmm. for a year. We were in Nairobi and Rio, and mm-hmm. really, we didn't have any bad experiences. We so, also yeah. weren't traveling today. I heard from a fellow traveler that... If you have an iPhone, like, locals, tourists, everybody alike are getting their iPhones taken mm-hmm. because there's just such a desperation among that country because the economy is really bad, so they'll resell them. But mm-hmm. it's not a violent crime, but it's still a crime, and it's still scary to have anything stolen from you. Yeah. So, yeah, we didn't get into mm-hmm. any too bad scrapes. No. But do you think the world's really a safer place than a lot of, yeah. you know, media and parents will make mm-hmm. you believe so agreed yeah. when I was traveling I had one t-shirt stolen in Africa out of the entire year yeah. and within three weeks back in New York I had a coat I bought in yeah. Romania with a ton yeah. of cash in the pocket oh, yeah. and Mitch is like it was taken I can't it's my Romanian coat and it's just yeah mm-hmm. so oh, we've had many more run-ins in New York right yeah. and New York is a safe place too but I know yeah it's just it can yeah. happen anywhere yeah. Yeah. yeah all right so what passport stamp still eludes you for me, I've been dreaming about going to South Africa for so long, but it just hasn't happened yet. I thought it would be a honeymoon destination, but I got married in June, so it was winter there, so it just wasn't the right time. So it's some, it's really a place I, I absolutely have to go. And the three of us together have been talking forever about hiking the Annapurna Circuit in Nepal, and we want that to be our next big trip. You know, we went to Borneo last year, which was a three-week scuba diving and hiking and very intense adventure trip. So we like kind of rotate those with the more, the softer, yeah. more mm-hmm. like long weekends. So the Annapurna Circus for sure up there because I, I, we just all want to go to Nepal. Nepal is amazing. Yeah, you it's said. one of my uh, favorite countries. So you'll oh, you'll wow. love it. Good. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> those are probably my biggies that are missing from my passport right now. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing I had: South Africa and Nepal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We Maybe we'll just see. go to South Africa, then on our way to <laughs> yeah. another part of the world, go to Nepal. Then can we go to Laos? I need to make it there. <laughs> we need to go. What is your most cherished souvenir and why? We didn't shop for a lot of souvenirs when we were traveling because we were backpacking for a year. So for all of us, the answer probably would be, the official answer would be our photos, which if I ever, ever lost any of the photos from the trip, I would mm-hmm. be devastated because mm-hmm. they're irreplaceable. But the fun souvenirs that I like to take home 
were, which were small and light was jewelry. And in every country, you could get some handmade item that was being sold in a market. So we had a lot of fun, especially during the initial parts of the trip where we were still like not quite aware of how our budget was going to stretch. And we were like, oh, you know, that's pricey, but I can get it. <laughs> we had a lot of fun going to like, there's the hippie market in Brazil where the girls bought gemstone rings. And I had already spent my budget on jewelry at a, on a beautiful silver and coral necklace in Cusco, which I still mm. love and have. So that was kind of the fun, the fun souvenirs. Yeah. Jewelry. <laughs> What's the most interesting custom or tradition you discovered abroad, and did you bring it back home? Well, this isn't exactly a custom, but I discovered it when I was in India at the ashram. I learned to meditate there, so being forced to sit on the floor for, you know, four hours a day for 30 days, I think that really made me finally relax and be able to sit with myself and with my thoughts. So I brought that back into my life and it's been six years. My goal is to meditate for five or ten minutes every morning. I mean, some days I do it and some days I don't, but the days that I do it, I honestly feel more energized and like my, my head is clearer, mm -hmm. regardless of how little or how much sleep I've gotten. So. Oh yeah, the science behind that now, I mean, it's just, it's proven. So yeah. that's great. Yeah. What's your biggest piece of advice for aspiring travelers? Well, I think in general, there's so many excuses that can keep you from taking a dream trip. And they're all, a lot of them are valid. I mean, money, time, not having a friend to go with you. But you know, we've always said that if you just put it out there in the universe, you know, even if it's two years from now, I'm going to go to Nepal and I'm going to make that dream happen. And you keep talking about it. Somehow it snowballs into a reality, which was really the way that the three of us magically ended up traveling together for a year, you know, what are the odds that we would all be available at the same time? Nobody would have a job or a, a relationship that would kind of keep them from doing it. So we learn from that experience. Same thing with our commitment to traveling together every year. It's hard sometimes. And yeah, we would rather take three weeks than three days. But just saying that and making it a goal, it's such a fun goal to keep. So yeah. just put it out in the universe. Nice. And finally, what's the most profound lesson you've learned around the world? I think the most profound lessons we learned is to not live on automatic pilot because travel I think really it kind of takes you back into being a child again because everything's new and you're living in the moment and I think that the trip really taught us to kind of slow down and be more mindful and that to constantly reprioritize like you know you're never stuck that you can always change directions in life and before taking the trip you know we called ourselves we still call ourselves the lost girls you know we thought the goal was to be found and now we realize that it's okay like it's it's not in the destination it's okay to have those points in your life where you're unsure because that means you're growing and you're learning so I think that's probably our biggest life but when I came back from my around the world trip, you all made me Lost Girl of the Week, yes. honorary Lost Girl, and I really yes. appreciate that. It means a lot to me. You so earned it. Thank you so much, you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Keep traveling. It doesn't sound like these girls are very lost to me. In fact, just two weeks ago, Holly gave birth to a beautiful baby boy named Blake, and two days ago, Jennifer gave birth to her baby boy named Jack. Combined with Amanda's wedding, it sounds like they've definitely found what they're looking for. Make sure to buy their book on Amazon.com or in all major bookstores, and check out their website, www.lostgirlsworld.com or on Twitter for more adventures. Maybe with a couple of adorable lost boys in tow. And until next time, get out there and set the world on fire.